Hey, this is Leslie, host of the Rogue Ones podcast. Thank you for listening to this show. You know, I did this limited series in 2018 and 2019. The world was a wildly different place, but knowing that people are still listening to it now and benefiting from these stories brings immense satisfaction. So thank you. If you want to keep up with my own rogue adventures, you can follow me on Substack. Yes, I have one too. An easy link to find that is leslieethompson.com slash Substack. I write on there frequently, but then I'll also post audio vignettes that don't fit into a typical podcast framework. I've been busy, and I bet you have been too, Rogue One. So thanks for tuning in, and I hope to hear from you soon. Now, here's the episode, and I hope you enjoy. You are now listening to the Rogue Ones podcast, conversations with extraordinary people doing fascinating things that will encourage us to live with a bend toward the remarkable. The rogue featured on today's episode isn't afraid of the word failure and considers it a part of his success. If you've ever thought, all I do is fail, then keep listening. Hi friend, I'm Leslie Eiler-Thompson, host and curator of this limited podcast series, The Rogue Ones. I cover what a Rogue One is in the very first episode of this series, and you can listen back at any time. Find all episodes at rogueonespodcast.com. The guest you'll hear today epitomizes what a rogue is. It's someone who's driven by a sense of purpose and who knows that in order to do good and meaningful work, failure is bound to happen. Kyle Sailors, this Texan-born, self-proclaimed shy kid, is a highly successful film director and producer working with the likes of Master P, the Dallas Cowboys, Stevie Wonder, and many, many more. In recent years, Kyle has become one of the country's best connectors of creative persons. His networking group, if you want to call it that, Dinner with Dreamers, acts as a surprise dinner a few times a month all over the country, where the location and guest is often kept a secret until the last minute. He's a believer in just trying things, and he's tried many things that have failed, but he's tried many things that have not. And some of these projects have snowballed into greater things that he couldn't have imagined. So I invite you to sit back and relax because this conversation is so chill. Kyle's southern draw and storytelling style slows things down a bit in the best way. I now have the pleasure of introducing to you, Kyle Sailors. Well, what's so cool about you and what I really appreciate it is that you're kind of like this massive Nashville connector of sorts, and you've kind of taken up this role, and you've developed this like movement called Dinner with Dreamers. Um, is, is, that, is that something you like, you actually like thought about before you did it and kind of had a plan? How did it come to be this Dinner with dreamers. Uh, it started as literally a, a, uh, I went through something in my life and I was sitting in my living room and I was like, and I travel a lot and go like 24 hours a day. And so I just don't have a chance to connect with people, see people. And if you don't see people, eventually you just lose touch. So it was like sitting there at a moment and I just thought, I'm going to, it was like a light bulb went off. Bing. I'm going to invite my friends over. Two weeks later, I had 150 friends over at my house, and that turned into three months later for a whole week. Like, I'd already forgot about it. I heard all these (laughs) stories about people that 
hey, we're working on this. We're doing this. I got this gig. We're doing this all in the same week. And then that's when somebody said, man, you need to have another party. And so it was just an accident. And I said, hey, if you know somebody cool, bring one of those. And then that's it. And then from there, I had 20 or 30 people that said, hey, you want to go to lunch or dinner or coffee? And I was like, man, I'll never get anything accomplished. So I said, <laughs> I said, uh, I thought I just invited 24 people at one time. I said, there's a secret dinner. There's no plan to this. I didn't even know if anybody would respond. I said, secret dinner. You don't know where it's going to be or who's going to be there. You know why. Share, connect, change your world, or you're in or out. And they all said, I'm in. And that started. I, that started the whole I'm in. And then yeah. I just took everybody from my party, threw them in a secret Facebook group, and called it Dinner of Dreamers. Nobody knew what it was. And I said, are you in? And they said, yes. It's and like been this, doing that ever this since. like quasi-networking, um, but not networking in the icky sort of like Yeah, I hate network networking. Right. <laughs> this is like a relational meeting of people that are in creative industries. Yeah. So I'll probably go to dinner with at least, yeah, I don't know, one to 2,000 people a year. Oh, just my goodness. As a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> I don't monetize it. I don't make money. Mm -hmm. I just... I mean, I make money off of the relationships that projects sure. and things, but I hate, I always hated networking groups. And to this day, if I go to one, I'm sitting there like, I don't know what to mm. do. And, uh, and so, and growing up as a shy kid, I was never one to know how to talk. So I never knew how to walk in a room and talk to people. So mm. like, I try to make it conducive for whoever the shyest person in the room is that they feel comfortable to talk. Hmm. And if they can feel comfortable, then anybody can. So outside of this kind of um, networking ambassador that you are, um, your work is first in film, right? And you, your your career is extensive and, and quite impressive. And it all started in Texas with your brother, right? Like a yeah. small town in Texas? Yeah, so we just... My dad was a cop pastor and a truck driver, and so we just... That's a combination. Yeah. We, at the same time? Usually two at a time. Really? <laughs> yeah, like, and we had no clue. We just watched Steven Spielberg movies and and said, we want to do that. But mm. then when I was in high school, I worked at Ace Hardware for a year and a half. My grandpa took me there, and he's like, you're going to work here. And I hated it with so much passion. I was like, every day was such intense, passionately hatred. <laughs> that I said, I don't want to ever work a normal job and I'm going to mm. figure out whatever it is I got to do to do what I love to do. So what was your journey from there? What was your path from there to, you know, we had no clue TV or like that was some other world and we had no connection or clue. So we did what we could. So we started these, like we had a band. I had no talent, but my brother did. And I tried to <laughs> rap and, uh, uh -uh. so I was a white you rapper. Did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was Love it. I'm, thankfully that dream failed and <laughs> i'd be a homeless guy right now but uh <laughs> but we performed in front of thousands of youth conventions and stuff and then we would do um we did these dramas we did i don't know we bought a restaurant we tried to start a restaurant it failed we did a we did so many stupid things you can't <laughs> and in the process we ended up i ended up doing concert promotion on galveston island my Cousin, no one told us, but he did like Chili Peppers and Nirvana. He was a big concert promoter, and he's like, he heard I put on a concert, so he's like, why don't you come down here? And so through that, I don't even know. My brother got, he's three years younger. He got a job digging ditches at a TV network, mm. and it's the blue-haired lady network, the TBN. They just liked him. Within six months, he was the CEO's assistant and camera, and on a, his first airplane flight was on a private jet. 
And so I started oh, there just doing local grip, running cables, and then local camera, and then national on Had the Had you show. done that before? Or that was, no, that was that the was, first time in real mm. real TV. And But the, the experience of it was we realized that all these people and these celebrities coming through or whoever, that they were just ordinary people. And so it, it takes away that glamour of like, oh, these are some sort of, you know, special people. They were just all knuckleheads like everybody else. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so <laughs> the veil was lifted. <laughs> and mm. so this is why being at the right place or just showing up or not showing up, uh, like we were, everybody on those teams were freelancers. So we were still out there doing, and we tried to put together this 4,500 seat venue because I'd already had concert promotions. We had all these things. And, we it literally two hundred people showed up, and it literally we lost all of our money, and we had we had like so many hot dogs left over that we had to eat hot dogs for the next six months, <laughs> and so it everything went wrong. We had the world's strongest man, and we had this artist Al Denson who at the time the year before sold out Reunion Arena. I shouldn't even say this because I don't think he credits me for running his career, but oh, but, no. uh, <laughs> no. but after that, he never sold out any arenas anymore. <laughs> oh, no. So he literally said, there's so few people here. I'm just going to give away my CDs if you want them. He said, uh, but anyway, we, it was called eruption, mm -hmm. but that catalyst of complete failure, basically we had already started working in TV. So it kind of like forced us to, if we want to eat <laughs> yeah, we eating's good. work more in tv and through that somebody one day just said uh hey two people didn't show up if you can get here in 10 minutes to the texas stadium you're on the nbc crew so we hopped in our car and was like Phew. 10 minutes later we're working for the on the nbc for the dallas cowboy games so growing oh, up in texas word. that was that like huge that was like the ever. yeah oh and then somehow that's like our whole life has just been like Forrest Gump kind of ended up in random places. Huh. How far did you get within the, the Cowboys organization? Uh, well, that's what just took our lid off of like, okay, we were still just general production crew. So whatever they needed, like, you know, gotcha. RF or this or camera or blah, 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 whatever they needed. And so, uh, but we learned and then we had credits. Hey, we're working for, it was for NBC sports technically. So like, and so we were able to meet people. And so one of the person I met, this is when we thought, okay, I don't know how to direct. I don't ever directed anything, but I thought, but a producer, I was like, what is really a producer? Nobody knows. Like it's sure, just somebody that's that, a great question. It's just somebody that makes something happen. So uh -huh. there's really no schools for it. Like you don't go to learn to be a producer. You just, so we just thought, okay, we're going to make a business card that says we're a producer. And so, so we asked people, Hey, we had, this guy had a, big old awesome studio we said hey man if we bring you business can we be the producer and he's like you know i don't care if you got money you can be whatever you want so <laughs> i was like cool that's how we're gonna be in uh -huh. so and so that was the beginning of you two kind of doing this is it called sailor's brother yeah. entertainment yeah okay and so it was kind of just default like we were brothers and we always ended up in the same gigs and then we started doing stuff so it's one person i could trust especially in la yeah. after seven years in la yeah when did you get to la what did, why did you go out there so we the short version is we ended up in four denny's at one night and at the four last four denny's, denny's in one night yeah <laughs> that's the beginning of a great story yeah. 
That's the beginning of an epic tale. Well, the the short of it was we went to a Denny's and it was closed. My friend had to eat Denny's. So we go (laughs) down the road and these two, you know, those Greyhound buses that pull in late at night. Yes. So there's like a hundred people in this Denny's. Uh And Denny's takes you three hours if it's not, nobody's in there. So we're like, forget that. So... Well, let's go to Jack in the Box, Waffle House. And he's like, no, I got to eat Denny's. So we go to another one, 15 <laughs> more miles down the road. We go up to the door, open the door. This lady stops and she's like, she comes running to the door and she grabs the door and she says, oh, we just had a horrible spill in the kitchen. And uh, and so she, she said, we're going to have to close for 30 minutes. So, you know, get out of here. <laughs> oh my we're gosh. like, okay, we are not supposed to go to Denny's. And he goes, no, we're supposed to go to Denny's. <laughs> So we go from like, this was in Dallas. So we started on one side. Now we're on the other side of the Metroplex, I think in Arlington or almost Fort Worth. We're we're like, this is the stupidest thing we've ever done. And so we're talking about making a movie. And so this guy comes in and he's got this big diamond necklace on. And I was like, hey man, I think that's like a no limit. And I just read about Master P being the richest black man in America, 700 okay. million. And so this wasn't him, but it was one of his guys. Okay. And so, but I was like, I think he's with no limit. And I was like, so we had our little business card that said producer on it, you know, <laughs> and it had a, <gasps> it had a smart beat pager. I walked, I was like, I'm going to talk to this dude. And then they're like, what are you going to say? I was like, I don't know, but I could tell he was over listening to our conversation about making a movie. So he probably thought we're movie makers. You sure. Know? Yeah. So of course. we weren't really, but <laughs> we were working on it. <laughs> and so anyway, I walked over and I said, Hey, you would no limit. And he's like, yeah. I said, we do music videos. This is literally the <gasps> shortest conversation ever. We did one $600 music video, but, uh, but you did one. Yeah, did one. So <laughs> I yep. wasn't lying. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, what budget she work on? It was the perfect question. And so I said, oh man, you can't afford us. And what he, a brilliant answer to that question. And he goes, oh yeah, we can afford anything we want. And so he throws his card down and that turned into the first ever animated rap music video. And then it turned into <laughs> one of MTV's most expensive videos of the year. And so out of just being at Denny's at the wrong place at the right time. And it's even <laughs> more than that. It's more than that, Kyle. It's it's that you persevered through three levels of Denny disasters yeah. to get to that fourth Denny's. Because yeah. be, I think probably anybody else would have said, I don't think we're supposed to be at Denny's tonight. Yeah. And we actually convinced him out of the irony of life. We said, hey, man, you can make more money doing family stuff. And he's like, hmm. And so that put a seed in his brain. And he ended up within a month putting together the his son, Little Romeo, instead of doing a gangster rap album, he did uh, the Nickelodeon show. So part of that was just like, we talked to him into like, you should try doing family stuff. And so he did. Now, yeah. where did the idea for the animation of the music video come from? Was that something he brought to the table or was that? No, because that studio, we had an animated studio. So we're like, hey, you can be the only, the first one in history to ever do this. You know? Oh, my word. So. Wow. It was motion capture too. So it was the first one to ever do like the full suits that, you know, that, so they were really in there <gasps> dancing and, and rapping and stuff. So. Oh my goodness. So, but when we went to LA, what that did is having a, a big success and we had several more boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. When we went to LA and we had three years of utter 
absolute failure, failure, failure. Mm. But we knew in the back of our heads it's possible because we did it. You know? Yeah. So we just thought we're going to go to L.A. And now we're going to go conquer the movie business. And it conquered us. And so. <laughs> uh, well, it's funny you say that because there, there was a quote that you said in one of – there was an article on the HuffPost um, talking about Dinner with Dreamers. And one of the things you said there was um, never place your value in your projects – because a project can fail, you will feel like a failure. And creative people have this trouble all the time with placing value in our projects. Have you developed a better sense of where your value's placed? Yeah, like I'd never, like I literally, if I was working on something for two months, putting together this deal, and then it fell apart within five hours, I probably never think about it again. Like mm. I literally, do not like, okay, well, whatever that, at least I met someone. So there's always something that came out of it. So when you do that, you, once you get stuck, I know people who are stuck in from 20 years ago on the same screenplay, I've got to make this one and, and they never do anything, you know? Wow. And so I, there's there one great example is two sets of friends. I met them about the same amount of time. One of them, they were violin players, twins, uh, and they composers, orchestrators, and, they would play anywhere. So we, we were one time I was doing a, I ended up directing a film festival in LA and we used them as part of our, you know, an after party thing, but they would play the universal city walk anywhere they could play. But then when we would did our first movie, we said, Hey, would you guys, or our second movie, we said, Hey, would you guys do some music for us? And so they were like, yeah, that'd be awesome. And so fast forward, but they would do anything they could. Mm -hmm. Now on the other side, you got this guy who has a, amazing screenplay which is probably academy award worthy but like that's all he's got and he never did anything else and so 15 years later whatever it is he still has this amazing screenplay and he's done nothing because mm -hmm. he's waiting on that this is my mm -hmm. ticket mm -hmm. whereas they were like this is my ticket this is my ticket all the little ticket now today they are orchestrating the x-men movies and they're working with the biggest composers in the world and they're mm. next in line and they're orchestrating like composing uh how to train your dragon and like the maze runner and all these every few weeks they got another big movie coming out so and they're they're performing on broadway and doing big concert halls and and so but it just started as like they did stairs and most people's trying to take a leap and i think the stairs are always more successful than the leaps in fact, most of the people who do get a big leap, they usually fall like we did. We got a big leap and then we fell <laughs> straight down. And then but you kept going yeah, and going and going. Then we started going. back on the stairs. Another thing we learned is like some of our best friendships we ever had in our whole life came out of really bad pitches. Two examples. One was we had a chance. He's like, okay, you got five minutes in this Phil Roman. And he was the producer of The Simpsons, King of the Hill and the critic. He worked all the way back to Charlie Brown and mm. like literally everything you ever watched in history. He was like Walt Disney of TV animation. We got to go in and you're like, you got five minutes. And so we started our pitch and within 20 seconds, we could tell he didn't like our idea. Like instead of us wasting the next five minutes, we were like, yeah, that's a stupid idea. So how did you end up in LA? He's like, man, I came with $60 in my pocket. And so he canceled his next meetings and we sit around talking for the next two hours. And he says, man, you want guys want to go to the smokehouse It's over by Warner brothers. He goes, I want to take you to lunch sometime. Mm -hmm. And so to this day, 
that tradition every time we go to LA, we go with Phil to the smokehouse. Mm. And uh but he's like one of our best friends, one of the greatest examples, but it came out of a bad pitch. Mm. And the other one was the same. One of the other catalyst moments was we we had this deal that we DreamWorks and he was like in the development side. And so same thing. They said, okay, he's a, he's a hardcore Asian business guy. Don't mm-hmm. pull any of y'all's Texas jokes, you know? And uh, <laughs> he was like, and so we were like, okay, this is our idea. And he's like, that is a stupid idea. And, uh, and, but he goes, but I do have a question. He goes, how does two white boys from Texas end up in gangster rap music videos? And, and then that so opened great. up two hours later, we're sitting around talking with him. And so fast forward, we had this deal, this big deal that we tried to put together and it all fell apart. It was like a year in the making and it was a big monumental movie deal. When it fell apart, partly tied to the 9-11 happenings, oh, yeah. everything just kind of collapsed and we didn't know what to do. And he calls one day and he says, what are you doing this Saturday? He goes, you want to go to Italy? We're going to go to Italy for two weeks. He goes, I just got my first contract. I left DreamWorks. And he said, I really, I don't know how to make a show. He goes, you guys know how to make something. So, so we went and for the next couple of weeks and we got to take one of a kind Ferraris out of the museum and put them on the track. And we filmed and went around like Como and here and there. Oh my word. It was like living it up. And so at that moment, <laughs> we our focus had entirely been a hundred percent on just making a big movie. We said, you know what? If I place my value as if I'm making a hundred million dollar movie, then I'm successful. Then to this day, I would be a failure. Hmm. So once you remove that and you say, you know what, we're going to have a good time. Mm. We got, we just got paid to go running around Italy and driving Ferraris and like, you know, like, uh, and living it up on corporate dime. And then through the years after that, from Red Bull to like, we had documentaries ended up at Sundance to like this hundred, I mean, dozens and dozens, but we traveled all over the world in India, Africa, China, you know, New Zealand, I go to Costa Rica a few days, uh, Mm. like. I don't even know where I haven't been. Wells and this and that and oh Europe. We've shot all over the world. But we did it not from necessarily making the world's biggest projects, but finding good people and things that we enjoyed. And that would it said if we had a, something that was like this corporate thing that would make a lot of money here, or it was like we could be going out and going through the backwoods of Africa, wow. we would pick the one from Africa. Some of the most successful people, they had a sort of thing that they wanted. But they realized that as they kept doing projects that were coming to them with people that they appreciated and, and respected and were good people, it, it became much bigger and broader than just this thing. that Because at the beginning, when you think you have this massive you know, goal in your head, you don't know all the intricate ways that that could be done, or you don't know all the other projects that could be just as good and interesting and better you know, until you start embarking out on that journey. Yeah. There was this one lady, we had a film at a festival in Colorado. And for whatever reason that year, it'd been around for 10 years. It went bust. Like no one, like we, we were sitting there and at the after party, there's literally, we showed up and there's three people there at first. And I said, boy, I feel stupid. I came all the way from Texas here. (laughs) And she goes, no, I feel stupid. I came all the way from Paris. And I was like, oh, did you have a film? No, I just have a screenplay. I didn't even like. And so I was like, well, what's the screenplay? And she's like, 
it's about North Korean refugees. Mm-hmm. She goes, I met one and I found out that they just started escaping, that they have gulags. And we're like, man, that's crazy. So I read the screenplay and I was like, when is this from like the Hitler days? And she's mm-hmm. like, no, this is right now. Oh my goodness. And so I was like, what? So the next three years, we tried to get this thing funded, but it was no American actors. It was very non-commercial. It was artsy. She came out of Broadway. She's very artsy. She had never made a film. So we finally said, look, if you want it, why don't you just tell the story? Go make a documentary. And so she's like, okay. So within, I don't know, a couple months, she's like, hey, I got it funded. And uh, she's like, cool, let's go to you know, South Korea where the defectors are. Mm -hmm. And so we had a blast and now we had no clue anybody would ever see it. Like, you know, it was just, this is, it's not even in English. Like it's, (laughs) you know, it's like legit hardcore and we get back. Well, somehow Robert Redford ended up seeing a cut. He said, I want this in the Sundance Institute. They help us recut it. And they wanted to premiere it at Sundance. He got up at the front. He said, this is my favorite documentary this year. So, but because of that, this group says, we would like to play this at the U.S. Capitol. Well, they had just mm-hmm. built a movie theater in the U.S. Capitol for the tourism. is a big, so it was the first movie to ever be played in the U.S. Capitol. And they invited Congress, and they said, we want to fly the people in your movie over. Oh, my goodness. So then we're sitting there, and the next day we're, they, they have a session of Congress, and the people in the film are testifying before Congress. Hmm. And that's when we were like, holy cow. We're, so meaningful. We're, yeah, we're so like, meaningful. this is this little tiny little documentary, which is just telling these people's stories, is now affecting national politics. That was born from a chance meeting yeah. at a, a failed festival Yeah, from two people from yeah. completely different countries. Keep listening to hear how this shy kid's life was turned upside down by a book we all know and love, and how he ended up taking Johnny Cash's grandson to Folsom Prison 50 years after the iconic song was released. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, I'd like to welcome you. And if you're enjoying yourself, I invite you to let the episodes roll and meet these extraordinary folks. Furthermore, I encourage you to follow their ever-developing stories Each day, one of these rogues is doing something fascinating, and as you follow along, you'll have the joy of watching it all develop. And you might even pick up some of their remarkable traits along your own rogue journey. I do my best to update listeners on what's happening now with this cast of Rogue Ones on Instagram. The show handle is Rogue Ones Podcast, and you can find all episodes, past and present, at RogueOnesPodcast.com. Now, Back to my conversation with Kyle Sailors. So something you said early on was that you grew up shy. Do you consider yourself to still be shy? No, now I can't shut up. (laughs) (laughs) What was that change? What brought about that change? It was, uh, I mean, I was literally like when I was a kid, my mom had the youth group and going after Dairy Queen, like, she drops most of them off. And she's like, where's Kyle? Uh, I was sitting back under the table at Dairy Queen. <gasps> like I only had a few friends uh, through all of junior high, high school. And that we'd moved three different towns. So like, so I just never, I, I literally had no clue how to talk to anybody. Mm. But it came after that. I was going to college and, and I was like, nobody here knows me. 
they don't know anything about me. So I was like, I'm just going to reinvent myself. Mm -hmm. So I, I read a lot of books. One of those books was How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh. So there was this swing set on the front porch. Everybody ends up sitting there eventually. So I was like, because there's only two of them. So I was like, all right, I'm going to sit on that swing set. Or if somebody's on there, I'll go sit down. Now I just came up with like five questions I'd ask them. And so I was like, hey, how's it going? Where are you from? And then, da-da-da. Oh, oh, oh. And then mm -hmm. I would, okay, cool, see you around. And I walked away, and I would write down everything I remembered. Uh -huh. And then at nighttime, I would read my notes. And so in the first week, I met and memorized 200 people by their first name. Huh. And almost every one of those people, I would see them in the cafeteria. Hey, John. And they're like, wow. dude, you're the first person to remember my name. Wow. And then all of a sudden, in one week, I was like the most popular guy in college. All it was was just like, you just care about people. That's it. There was no, it, it was nothing about how cool you are or how this or that or what mm -hmm. you drove or how if you played ball. It was just if you care enough to think about them. That's it. Mm. So one of the things that you have automatically brought up over and over, which is what I want to, I always ask people about, but you keep bringing it up is, is failure. And a lot of people don't like to talk about it, but I'm so glad that you do Yeah, that's because my it's favorite. so important. When I was a teenager, I hated school with passion, but like I do everything with a passion. I either going to hate it or I love it. Uh, but, but like, so I, but I started reading books about great, like Abraham Lincoln or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I realized the one thing all the great people had in common is they were big failures. I just thought in my brain, I thought, okay, the more I can fail, the more likely <laughs> my odds are. Absolutely. So I don't see failure as failure. I see it as like, oh, cool. That didn't work. That didn't work. That didn't work. Mm -hmm. And then so like when you perceive it that way, you don't, you take away the sting of it, which, so it doesn't have any impact on you. You're just like, okay, well, that didn't work. What's next? Oh, wait. And almost every failure leads to something better if you keep going, but most people stop at it. Mm -hmm. And then, so. There's the quote, what is it? Um, Edison, he had like 99 ways to yeah. make a light bulb and, and. Thousand or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Huge number. Yeah. And then he finally found the way. The he finally found success in that thing, but all of those failures. Yeah, it's odd. I'll outfail everybody. I think that's partly why I succeed. And well, you talk about the, it was, I think it was the eruption festival where you had 4,500 tickets and then you said yeah. 200 people showed up. <laughs> Which is basically nobody. <laughs> but all the things you learned to put that together, you know, yeah. concert promotion, you brought that in from your past. You brought in all of those things and you figured out the thing that didn't work. And so good. Now you don't do that yeah. again. I meet all these cool people. So I was like, if you heard their stories, you realize they've all been through the same ups mm -hmm. and downs. And mm -hmm. so like no one I've ever met was just like, and then never mm -hmm. went down. Um, you've been quoted as saying that these are the three biggest lessons you've learned in your journey. One, stay true to your vision. Two, work people you like and enjoy. And three, don't sit and wait for your moment. Make it happen. Can I ask you to expound on each of those three lessons and then maybe give an example? What was the first one? one? Um, stay true to your vision was the first one. Oh, okay. Yeah, like know, know where you're going. If, if, you, if you don't have a destination, no GPS will take you there. You know, so like pick a point. I would suggest like reading like Purpose Driven Life or something to find, find your core spot in life that you want to go and then keep that and that's your target. Now, how you get there could take you a thousand ways. Uh, but 
But if you have that, when you go on detour, it always reroutes you. When you get off on, you, oh, I took a wrong turn. That was stupid. Mm -hmm. The GPS will reroute you. Take a left. But if you don't have a destination plugged in, you just keep on going down the wrong path. Mm. Second one was work <laughs> with people you like and enjoy. Yeah. So we were on a movie. We were producing just for the sake of building credits. And and this guy was like literally was the greatest con artist I'd ever met. Mm. And he conned us to the hilt to all oblivion. But anyway, we're trying to finish this movie he took money out of the budget because he was executive producer and director. We were producers. That's when we decided to become directors. Uh, <laughs> he was stealing money. We're running out. We're just and this has a distributor, so we're responsible to him. We come up to him, and it's like the last day. And anyway, I was like, "Dude, we got a problem." And this is in front of everybody. He raised his hands above his head and he looked up at the sky and he says, "On this movie, I am God." And he says, you don't tell me what to do. And at that moment, I was like, I'm done. Like, this is not my dream to come work with idiots and con artists and whatever. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to work on things I like with people I like. I'm not doing it. I, I know a lot of people that are jaded, angry people that work in the movie business. Like, why are you in this business if you can't have fun? Mm -hmm. hmm. And then the third one, don't sit and wait for your moment. Make it happen. Yeah. You create it. Like, put it in your brain. Every almost every project we have, literally, it just came out of our brain, and we started brainstorming. Hmm. So, we we were sitting around. I did this party, drink, log cabin party at Johnny Cash's farm, and we had like Johnny Cash family. We met his grandson. We had all these people, like a thousand people came, and blah, blah, blah. one of them we were sitting in the cabin shortly later with uh, one of our friends from California that came to Dinner with Dreamers here, and he was like, "We should bring his grandson to Folsom." And uh, we were like, oh, that's an awesome mm. idea. And then we looked it up, and it was the 50-year anniversary of Folsom Prison. Oh, my goodness. So for the next eight months, it took us to get permission to uh, to go into Folsom. But we took Johnny Cash's grandson 50 years later to Folsom, to Folsom Prison. Prison. There was only six of us. Now, we had this grand idea. We were going to make it a big production, a documentary, and a big concert with – huge artist uh -huh. and none of it got approved and none, <laughs> none of it they wouldn't even let us take a camera we wouldn't couldn't even take our phone so we ended up going it was only six people and hit one band member they wouldn't even let his whole band in and when we drove up he said that day he goes i just realized my grandfather came here 50 years ago so that i could come here today they did one article in radar online or somewhere but like it wasn't a big press thing it wasn't anything it was a personal experience but it came out of an idea and it was one of the coolest things we ever did in our life. Yeah. And so just wow. create stuff, no matter whether it has any merit or not, or make any money or not. We just, mm. it was stupid. Really. There's an interesting graphic floating around Instagram as of late that says, your first podcast will be awful. Your first video will be awful. Then it says your first article, your first art, your first photo, your first game will be awful. But you can't make your 50th without making your first so get it over with and make it. If you go back and listen to the first interview episodes of this series, you'll hear a very different audio makeup. I didn't have it figured out, and I still don't entirely, but here we are on the 17th conversation with an extraordinary Rogue One. I just did the thing, and you can do the thing. Just start now. Thanks for listening, and thank you to Kyle for sharing his wisdom and Ryan Swinehart at Sick Island Studios for making the audio shine. Be well, my friends. We'll talk again soon.